was on Jimmy Fallon's The Tonight Show, and you know what she sang? Oh, Holy Night. And if you go up on YouTube and look up Carrie Underwood, Oh, Holy Night, but this is The Tonight Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, and she knocked it out of the ballpark. I just sat there and bawled through the whole thing. That, that's one song that gets to me right here. So, Hi. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church today, all of you who are here in person, as well as those who are out there in TV land and online. Hi there. Uh, I'm Pastor Wayne. Uh, I get the privilege of getting in on this I Am series, and uh, I can't wait. Uh, It went fairly well the first service, and nobody booed or threw me out, so we're going to see if we can continue on. Kathy Basio, it's so good to see you. We've been seeing this guy beside you here, but you you make him look so much better (laughs) when you're sitting there beside him. Right, John? (laughs) Just a couple of announcements before we get into the word this morning. This is a time of the year that um, we have offered an opportunity, at least in the 30 years I've been here, for the body to... uh, show their appreciation for the SBC staff. And uh, rather than them getting a bonus in their, in their paycheck, we have just left it up to the congregation. And whatever the congregation gives is a Christmas gift for the staff. That number is taken, whatever it is. And there's so many staff members, that's divided evenly. And that's how it's shared. But I want to say something. And, uh, you know, having been hanging around here for the last 30 years... Uh, Maybe you've earned the right to say some things that maybe somebody else would not say. What this staff has been and done, and who they are for Sierra Bible Church through 2020 has been amazing. They have stepped up to the plate in ways that you would have to be here during the week to understand. We have scrambled to You know, back in March when we went online, thank God we'd already been online for a while, so it was an easy step there. But throughout the week, I know that Brad and Caleb and Jesse were all doing videos, and we were staying in touch with the body in every way that we could, through Facebook, through YouTube, and through our Sunday services here. Uh, I know that I went through the church directory five times, calling people, emailing people, just to let them know that just because we don't see you doesn't mean we don't think about you and that we're not praying for you. And um, in the last two months, I've done two Zoom funerals, and those are real fun. You know, we're, we're just, we've had to grow accustomed to something that just isn't normal. And, and those of you who have known me, I'm kind of a hugger. I, uh, I believe in therapeutic touch. And I direct the pastoral care at the local hospital, and since March, I haven't been able to see a a patient face-to-face. I have counseled dying patients and prayed with them on FaceTime with nobody, no family member, nobody standing at their bedside. And boy, it just, it has killed me. And And to minister to you during this time for myself and for the rest of the staff, and I truly thank um, God, that Jesse has taken this very seriously and has laid it before the Lord and say, Lord, what are we to do? What's our next step? And then our elders have been such a big part of that. But 
Um, your staff is aces. And uh, I just pray that uh, you continue to remember in your prayers, and if so led, uh, put a little Noel in their Christmas stocking. We also have uh, a missionary family that Sierra Bible Church has supported for well over 20 years, Robert and Molly Clements with uh, the Wycliffe Bible Translators, and they have sent us uh, a video clip to kind of tell us what's happening with their family at Christmas time here. And it's going to be in the newsletter tomorrow, David? Okay, so it's going out in the church newsletter tomorrow, and then it's online, and so check that out and see what Robert and Molly are doing. I know that a lot of new people here, you don't know who Robert and Molly are, but um, Robert and Molly Clements came to faith in Christ under our ministry in Moab, Utah in, in the 1980s, and then they became um, teachers in our school and taught all of my children in kindergarten. And then they went with Wycliffe and are continuing to serve, and our church is their sponsoring church. And then lastly, no, not lastly, next to lastly, uh, we have a ministry in the church called the TLC Meal Train. And what this does is periodically there are families in our church, they've gone through surgery, they've gone through a loss of some sort, they've gone through something that has kind of shaken their household up, And so what we try to do is during that time while they're recovering and recouping is to take meals into them. And uh, in fact, I was just talking with Jim Mency, who uh, six weeks ago had hernia surgery. And for the first week that he was home recovering, TLC brought meals to his house. And he's a bachelor, and it's the best he's eaten in years. (laughs) And uh, he really appreciated it. And this is one of those ministries, it's not, a, you know, you got to be front and center every single week. It's a, it's a ministry that when the need is there, we need to have a bunch of people on a list that Angie, and there she is. Would you stand up, Angie? This is Angie Harrison, and she holds up the TLC Meals Ministry. And when she gets a call, then she goes down that list and says, uh, hey, you Ginny. Could you uh, whip up something for Jim this this night? And Jenny says, absolutely. And is that kind of how it works? Kind of. Do you want to add to that? Okay. But we we need volunteers on the list. So she has a pool to of resource. She's got an email address, angelhair76 at gmail.com. Or there she is in person. She's also in the church directory under Mike and Angie Harrison, and uh, we'd appreciate any help you might be able to give. We, when Sandy was hospitalized a year ago, we, we ate very well off the meal train for a week or two. So, Lastly, anybody know what today is? Sunday. You are, you are sharp. Uh, last Sunday before Christmas which means that this week is Christmas Eve. And on Thursday night, we're going to be having two candlelight Christmas Eve services right here. They will also be streamed online on both Facebook and YouTube. 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. We'll be coming together to sing Christmas carols. We'll be hearing from the Word, and we'll have a candlelighting ceremony together. We have no idea what to expect. Last year, about 800 people came for the two services. Uh, 
We don't think we're probably going to see that this year because of the circumstances, but we're going to do it, and uh, we invite you to come. And uh, again, 5 p.m., 7 p.m., Christmas Eve. Let's open our Bibles this morning. To John chapter 11. Continuing on in this series, throughout this Advent season, we are covering the I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. Pastor Jesse has covered four of them. We're going to cover two of them today, and they are back here. I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to begin by reading in John 11, and we'll go to John 14. But a little background here. John chapter 11, Jesus is in Galilee, a long way from Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha, is sick. Word is sent to him in Galilee, and instead of heading right up to Judea, he waits a few days. And during that time, Lazarus died. And what we have now is after Lazarus is dead, Jesus and his disciples moving toward Bethany. And we're going to start reading in the 11th chapter with the 17th verse. And this is Jesus arriving in Bethany to minister to Martha and Mary. And if you would, please stand with me as we honor God's word reading it standing together. John 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, this is her greetings to him, and I would have loved to have been there to heard the tone in her voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I want you to take that into heart because that's the greeting. You know, this wouldn't have happened if you had been here. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha has faith in a resurrected life, but it's down the road. Okay? And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then three three chapters to the right, John 14, the words of Jesus from the upper room on the night of the Last Supper and the night of his betrayal. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that during this Advent season, this season of expectation, that we have been exploring these wonderful passages where Jesus, who is the great I Am, the the very one who appeared to Moses in a burning bush in the Sinai Desert, now stands in flesh and blood before his people and reiterated to them that he was the light of the world. I am the light of the world, he said. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door to the sheep. And today, two more. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, what we're going to find this morning is that these verses, especially in our day, in our age, in our time, in our culture, are calculated to offend. In a pluralistic society that believes in many truths, and your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and there's no such thing as absolute truth, these words cut straight to the heart. And Lord, Jesus didn't apologize for them, and he didn't equivocate. He stated them as truth. And so today we want to honor him by honoring his words. The words of the great I am. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Next month, I will begin my 45th year of pastoral ministry. 30 of them right here. And I want to say this to you, that this past year has been one of the most challenging of all those 45 years. One year ago, my dear Sandy was rushed to the emergency room and then to surgery for a bowel obstruction that was caused by a neuroendocrine tumor. The surgery was followed by nine days in ICU, the first five touch and go, and then several months of recovery at home. Last December 23rd was our 50th wedding anniversary. We spent the morning of the 23rd in the oncologist's office to hear the news of what was next. In fact, we haven't celebrated that anniversary yet. (laughs) Plans were made for our children to come. And like with many other things, weddings and funerals and whatnot, they got put on hold. 
And so Wednesday we celebrate 51. We'll see what we can do with that one. And then in July I spent 12 days in the same ICU that was occupied by my wife with pneumonia that was brought on by COVID-19. And then that was followed by several weeks of recovery at home. Outside of these events in our immediate home, our nation has been turned upside down by the COVID-19 pandemic. We had an unprecedented hurricane season, which we are now more aware of since our son and his family live in Florida. We had historic wildfires of which we tried to breathe its air. Historic drought and tornadoes. Iowa experienced freak storms that laid down tens of thousands of acres of corn and just flattened them to the ground. And then along with all of this, we've had an out-of-control, crazy-from-top-to-bottom political season. And as they might say, it ain't over yet. And like the Apostle Paul, along with these trials and tribulations, there was my daily concern for the family of Christ at Sierra Bible Church. Because you all live right here. But I want to say to you that through it all, I have grown in my conviction that God indeed is sovereign over all things and all events. And no matter what we may think when we look outside over the last nine months or look at the headlines or looking into tomorrow, none of it snuck up on his blind side. And as a result of that knowing that he is the sovereign one and that he holds it all in his hand. I have experienced firsthand what the Apostle Paul has called the peace that passes understanding. A peace that is not predicated upon our circumstances. A peace that is a gift from God in the midst of our circumstances. I have also experienced an increased faith in the one who is the great I am, who was and is and is yet to come, the one revealed in the messages that Pastor Jesse has preached the last two Sundays, messages that have moved me deeply as he talked that first Sunday about Jesus being the light of the world and the bread of life. The tears ran down my cheeks as, as I saw Christ in a fresh and fascinating and new way and have come to trust Him even more through these messages. And now, the baton has been passed to me today to bring to you two passages in which Jesus made two of the most defining statements that anyone who has ever walked planet Earth has made. First, He said, I am, let me give that up here for you, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, I want to ask you, those who are in this room, I want to ask you, those who are watching online, I want to ask you the same question that Jesus posed to Martha when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I think it also goes with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the question to you is, do you believe all this? Do you believe this? And the reason I ask is because there are many within the evangelical church who no longer believe these statements, including a number of well-known TV preachers that are followed by thousands. In a 2018 Pew Research survey, it was revealed that 57, get that number, 57% of professing evangelical Christians believe that religions other than Christianity can lead to heaven and eternal life. Jesse has said it a couple times in recent weeks. The church in our nation is hurting. It's in a bad way. 57% of professing evangelical Christians believe that there are other ways to heaven and eternal life besides the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for many professing Christians, the Bible has become kind of a spiritual silly putty that can be shaped and reshaped to fit one's passing fancies. Shaped and reshaped as we face the shifting sands of popular culture. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I tell you today, the Word of God is the straight edge that God has given us. And we take the things of this world and lay them alongside of the Word of God. And when they don't square, we don't change this, we throw away that. It is the Bible. And yet we live in this day that the Bible gets shifted and it gets changed and it gets reshaped according to my personal liking or so I can accommodate and take part in the culture that so many times is unholy and antithetical to a holy God. The Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God. And today, many are attempting to return the favor by recreating God in their image and interpreting Scripture to their liking. And with scores of truth claims that dot the landscape today, the claims of Jesus that we read this morning are calculated to offend and guaranteed to get a little pushback when we say them out loud and when we dare to stand by them and where we dare to live by them. You see, Jesus categorically stated that there is no resurrection of the dead unto eternal life apart from him. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. Then in John 14, 6, he doubled down on the claim. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except 
through me. Whether you know this or not, this last statement, where Jesus referenced the way, the truth, and the life, these were tenets that the Jews were very familiar with. They were conceptions that they knew about. And we need to remember sometimes that the Bible is not a Western book. It's an Eastern book. And we need to take that into account. We look at John 14, 6 and think that this is some mind-blowing statement. And the way, the truth, and the life was not a mind-blowing statement because it was part of the Jewish faith. They were raised with it. What became the mind-blowing statement, we'll, we'll deal with in just a second. It's like going to the book of Revelation. You know, the Bible lets us know the book of Revelation is an epistle. It's just like any of Paul or Peter's epistles. It has an address. It was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. Okay? And what John said to those seven churches, they didn't scratch their head. He used a, 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 a word pool. He used images. Uh, he used metaphors with which they were familiar We're the ones that scratch our heads and want to make locusts into helicopters. But it wasn't for them. It was plain. In fact, you know, they got that read to them in one sitting. They sat down, somebody stood up before them and read it. And the idioms and the pictures were understood. And 55% of all the verses in the Revelation are from the Old Testament. Therefore, we don't interpret Revelation from going to the headlines of today, we interpret the revelation by going backwards. And when we don't do that, we get wrapped around the axle of life and weirdness comes out of it. Like, let me, let me give you an example. I was, I was talking to, to the chairman of Sierra Bible Church yesterday. You all know who the chairman of Sierra Bible Church is, don't you? Dave Richardson. Dave sets these chairs up for you every, every week. He's the chairman. He's the chairman. Right, Dave? As <laughs> he's hiding back there in the dark. Well, I was telling him yesterday, I said, if I took a piece of paper and I drew on that piece of paper two pictures, one donkey and one elephant, and held that up to you, what would you think? I didn't write Democrat or Republican on there. I just... Isn't that, she said, political party. Why? Because it's one of the metaphors. It's part of our image pool. You take that same picture around the world, and they're not going to say that. They're going to say they saw a donkey and an elephant. And it's much the same way. There were times that Jesus said something that we go, and his audience understood it because it came out of their pool of metaphors, their pool of pictures. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, they were very, very familiar with that. I don't have time to do it this morning, but I invite you, go home. Take some time this week or over the next, it'll probably take you two or three weeks. Get your Bible out. Get get out of concordance. Get out a legal pad and a pencil and look up way, truth, and life in the Old Testament and you'll have a study that'll take you to Valentine's Day. And just to show you this, I'm just going to share a couple of them with you. So it's a fascinating study. But when Jesus said this, nobody went, whoa. 
Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn away to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. Psalm 25, 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Isaiah 35, 8. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. In regard to truth, lead, Psalm 25, 4. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth. He's saying here, all of God's word is truth. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. In regard to life, Psalm 1611 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. What Jesus was saying to his audience was, I am all of these in the flesh. I am all of these in the flesh. These three tenets of the Jewish faith were personified in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. We're getting ready to celebrate this week the fact that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the one that spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He is the great I am. Little rabbit trail here, I'll make it quick. How many of you have seen the movie series on Jesus called The Chosen? If you haven't seen it, it's available for you on YouTube. Go up, The Chosen. The first year is eight, eight episodes about the life of Jesus done by Dallas Jenkins, and it's all been funded with private money. They're in the middle of filming the second year right now. They've already raised enough money to get into year three. They're planning an eight-year project to tell the life of Christ. And it is so good because it, it allows Jesus to be one thing that he was, human. It shows him rejoicing at a wedding feast where the wine has run out, and He's turned water into wine, and it was the best wine anybody had ever had. And he's dancing, and he's singing, and oh, it shows him with Nicodemus, where Nicodemus just falls into his arms as he's telling him about himself the way. He talks to the woman at the well with so much gentleness that, you know, he says, go get your husband and bring him here. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right to say I don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. But there's not a condemning bone in his body. He is speaking to her where she is sensing the life that's emanating from him. It is out of this world. And uh, we love it so much, we sent a DVD of all eight episodes to all of our children for Christmas. Didn't we, Ellen? 
This is my baby girl, Ellen, over here. But uh, it, is, it is so good. But they did a Christmas special called The Chosen Christmas Special. It's a pretty unique title. Two hours long. It'll, it'll, just make, it'll make the tears run down your cheeks. It is out of this world powerful. And uh, it's still available up on YouTube, The Chosen Christmas Special. But this whole thing started because Dallas Jenkins made a 10-minute clip for his church on the birth of Jesus, starting with the shepherds seeing the angels and moving to the manger. And I I know he studies filmography because he, he used an Alfred Hitchcock trick. You know, one thing that Alfred Hitchcock never did, his movies were never gory. They were suspenseful. He never showed the blood and guts and pieces splattered all over the place. He showed the faces of the people that were viewing that scene. And you made your interpretation by either the horror or the joy that filled their life. And that's what he did with the shepherds and the angels. There's the light, and you don't see angels, and you don't even hear anything saying, but you know what's coming down. And these shepherds all fall on their face and worship. And then they move quickly to a manger in Bethlehem where they were reminded that this is Emmanuel. This baby in the Christmas cradle spoke the worlds into existence. This baby in the Christmas cradle spoke to Moses as the great I am from a burning bush. He parted the Red Sea. He was present among his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is This is him. This is him. This is God now in human form. And as a result, he is the only one that can make this statement. No one, absolutely no one, can come to the Father except through me. I was reading from Oswald Chambers this morning. He said to believe that there's another way besides the crucifixion is to make the crucifixion a farce. When standing before the Sanhedrin defending the healing of a beggar in the name of Jesus, the Apostle Peter said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation in no one else. Jesus alone is the way to God. Because Jesus alone paid the ransom price for your sin and mine. The Reformers called this sola Christos, through Christ alone. See, the Bible lets us know that we're all sinners and we've been separated by God for that sin. And God's plan was not that we would work our way back into his good graces by a lot of religious ditties. 
He planned before the foundation of the world to send his only begotten son as a man who would perfectly keep the law of God as he walked this earth. Keeping it in your stead and mine. And then laying down his sinless life to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. The result of that, when we accept it, is this. And this is, I was pointed out this morning, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 21, not 11. For he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In my nearly 70 years of walking on planet Earth, I've made some pretty good deals and some pretty good trades. This is the best one of all. You know what the trade included? I traded in my sin and got in return Christ's righteousness. Is that a good deal? This is yes, this is no. This is a good deal, people. This is a good deal. You see, when, when you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ come into the throne room of God in Jesus' name, he sees the merit of Christ clothing you. You're not there in the rags of your sin and your shame that you used to wear. You're there wrapped in a robe of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of your sin, past, present, and future, is gone. Paid for on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ, buried with him, and the proof of the pudding that God accepted that sacrifice is Jesus rose from the dead three days later. He is the resurrection and the life. He came out of the tomb, so he can promise to those who follow him that they will also. You see, mankind's problem is sin. I know we don't like to use that word. It's not our education. It's not our ethnicity. It's not what country we were born in. It's not how much money we have. Mankind's problem is sin. And that sin is rebellion against God's law. God's law is the Ten Commandments. I dare to say that not everybody in this room has kept them all perfectly. I mean, I'm not going to assume, but anybody here ever told a lie? Oh, you know what the Bible says? If you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. Anybody in here ever looked at a person of the opposite sex with lust in their heart? (laughs) Here come the qualifications. Well, anybody ever cheated on a test or their income tax? Yeah, well, you're, you're in the same boat here. You've broken God's law. The, the scripture reveals, and I, I hate to break it to you, it says that all have sinned, and that includes all of you. We have all broken God's law. And the Bible says that the wages of that is death. Eternal separation from God. We all have sinned. And the wages of that sin is death. And sinners without Christ will one day taste the undiluted wrath of God against sin. You hear me? But they don't have to because a way has been made. 
Because Jesus became for us the wrath-bearing sacrifice. The wrath that we... The Bible says we were born as children of wrath. We were due the wrath of God. But Jesus went to the cross, and somehow, in, in a realm that we can't understand, and hopefully one day we'll understand a little bit more fully, on that cross was charged as guilty of every sin that you have ever committed, that I have ever committed, that has ever been committed from Eden to the time he returns. And in that position, in that condition, on that cross, his father judged him guilty of your sin and mine. And Jesus cried out on that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment on the cross, he experienced something he had never experienced ever or since. He experienced the abandonment of God. Because he was hanging between heaven and earth, representing the sin of the world. And the Bible tells us that the wrath of God against sin was totally satisfied in the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf and mine. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Just a, you know, something here that was written over 500 years before it came about as prophecy talks about the one who hung on the cross on your behalf and mine. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he, this is the coming Messiah. For us, it's the one who has come. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And here it goes. All we like sheep have gone astray. Pastor Jesse talked about this last Sunday. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that one on the cross, the iniquity of us all. It's not enough to know about the sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to which one must respond. My mom can't do it for me. My dad can't do it for me. My uncles, aunts, and cousins can't do it for me. No priest can do it for me. I must personally believe that this sacrifice for me and accept it by faith. For by grace you have been saved. That grace, God's unmerited favor. What we deserved was his wrath. We get his favor. How? By faith. And then God even lets us know here that even the faith that he gave us to believe it wasn't of ourselves. We couldn't muster up enough faith. That too was a gift of God. It's not as a result of works. It's not Sunday school. It's tithing. It's not 
you know, helping little old ladies across the street. It's not, it's not by works. No one's going to stand before God's throne one day and say, I'm here because I. When we stand there, it'll be, I am here because he. And I accept by faith today that that sacrifice was for me. And that in my accepting by faith that grace that's been extended, my sins are washed away and separated as far as the east is from the west. Saved by faith. The the reformers again put it like this. Saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. Saved by faith in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I've already asked the question that Jesus asked Martha, and I ask again, do you believe this? To which she responded, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. But now I want to bring you face to face with Jesus as he questions Simon Peter, and he says, Peter, The world is saying all these things about me. Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't care what the rest of the world says. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. C.S. Lewis once said that Jesus left us only three options when it comes to making our conclusions about him. Either he was a madman who was utterly insane, or he was a bad man who was a cynical liar, or he is and was just who he claims to be. Lunatic? Liar or Lord? Those are your only choices when it comes to Jesus. Over the years, I've had people in my office trying to persuade me that there are other ways and other avenues. And most of them, while they're spouting the words of the teachers of the world, Throw some Jesus in there too. And somewhere in the conversation, I will stop and I say, oh, I'm so glad to hear you quoting Jesus. How about this one? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. And they go, oh, well, we, we don't believe that. I say, really? Well, I wonder how you go about picking and choosing the, the parts that you can because... You see, if Jesus will lie about that, he'll lie about anything. And so you've got to either throw Jesus totally out of the boat or you embrace him and throw everybody else out of the boat because he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. This threefold choice of lunatic, liar, or Lord may oversimplify things, but it's 
the question is the right question. Jesus forces us all to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And my brothers and sisters, the answer to that question is the most important answer that you will ever give to a question in your entire lifetime on planet Earth. Because it holds forth the greatest consequences of life beyond this earth. Jesus did not say, I am a way. Because he's the only way. He didn't say in me, you'll find a path for life. Contrary to popular belief, all roads don't lead to the same summit. And he didn't say, I'm just another nifty truth that you can put in your pocket. I am the truth. And to his Jewish listeners, who were very familiar with the way, the truth, and the life, he brought it all down and said, I am these. And in me is life. And except for me, there is no other path to God. And I know what these statements do to us because they are just out there. And the temptation when we're out there is to equivocate and put a softer edge on them. But my brothers and sisters, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God through Christ Jesus, his son, is eternal life. And that is a truth from this pulpit that won't be compromised because he is who he claims to be. And he is the resurrection and the life. And everyone who places their trust in him will live forever. I've done two funerals recently. Stood at a bedside of a dying man just recently. Uh, he was fortunate enough to die in his home, not in a hospital where nobody could get to him. And as we stood around his bed after he had breathed his last, it was obvious to all of us, all he left behind was an earth suit. And he was no longer there. And we rejoiced that we did not mourn as those who have no hope. As we'll see him again, it's guaranteed by the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that under the sound of my voice, be it people sitting in this room or watching online, there are many who have embraced this Savior and believe 
and can answer the questions in the affirmative that Jesus asked both Martha and Peter. And may today just be a time for us to just reaffirm that statement in our hearts and be committed to that statement in our lives and be witnesses of that statement in the world in which we live. But Father, I also pray that if there are any men, women, or boy and girls under the sound of my voice that uh, in regards to the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the jury is still out. I pray, dear God, that you would give them the gift of faith that you spoke of in Ephesians chapter 2. Open their eyes that they may see that Jesus is just who he claims to be. And then I pray, dear Father, that they would understand that born into sin, this one who began his time with us in a manger in Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, and then laid it down for the likes of us who haven't. That we may be washed in the spotless blood of the Lamb, clothed in the white robe of his holiness. And I pray, dear God, I I pray for the the people here in this room this morning or online, I, I pray that if there's any way that we can help We're here to talk, our pastoral staff, our elders, people in the church that that know this Savior, that they would go to your word and hear more of the claims of this one who is the resurrection and the life. And Father, we thank you for the reminder of this Advent season that the one who lays in that manger is a human flesh and bone baby. Yes, it cries, it spits, and it does everything else a baby does. He's also God of all gods, King of all kings, and Lord of all lords, who came to take our place, came to taste your wrath against our sin, that we may be clothed with his righteousness and know your abundant life and peace and joy here and now, as well as the promise of eternal life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand in worship as we sing hallelujah, just the highest.